the breakthroughs that you're seeking, the breakthroughs that we create together are, are breakthroughs that I have experienced in some part, you know, somewhere along the continuum. We talk about the continuum, right? You are me somewhere on the continuum, just a little bit further back in the journey. And so for me to go back there and re-experience those breakthroughs with you is so nourishing because A, it helps me fall in love with the work. And it really is about love ultimately, because to re-experience that same breakthrough again, gives me more ownership of it, more than I had, because when I first had it, it's the first time, right? You, you hear the first time and you think, wow, that's cool. That's amazing. Exactly what you said. It's like marriage. You think you love your partner the first time when you first meet them. And they're like, wait, I didn't know all this stuff about you. Like what? This is even better. It's different. There isn't that huge dopamine high or doesn't not, not always anyway. It comes back if you work it, but but it it matures into something deeper. And that that is the work where for me to then re-experience a breakthrough that I've lived through now through your eyes, through your experience, through your visceral kind of lived experience gives me more ownership of the same breakthrough. It reminds me, it breaks me through a little bit further, even in that same breakthrough, even though technically I'm, technically I'm past it, we're never really past it. Hello and welcome everyone to Awaken to Your Real Power podcast. I am so excited to have you here. I am your host, Roma Bajaj Kohli, and I am taking you on a journey within. My sole intention with this podcast is to help you dive deeper into identifying your authentic self, overcoming self-doubt, fears, and limitations, and becoming in alignment with the best version of you. I bring in guests from diverse fields and backgrounds, and we talk about self-growth, self-mastery, building meaningful relationships, and doing work that feeds your soul. Hello and welcome everyone to Awaken to Your Real Power podcast. My, I am your host, Roma Bajaj Kohli, and today with me who I have is a very, very, very special guest because she is so close to my heart. I feel like a part of me lives in her um, because of when I met her, I feel like I just gave a bit of my love to her forever. She is a mom. Her name is Gita Nakani. She is an entrepreneur, a barefoot runner, troublemaker, and super connector. I don't know if she's a troublemaker, but she's very good at ironing out all your troubles in life. So Gita Nakani is a veteran journalist, performer with more than 25 years of experience in the mainstream media. As the founder of impactwithinfluence.com, she has helped coaches and infopreneurs, also confusedpreneurs like myself, all over the world grow six and seven figure businesses without sacrificing uh, freedom, family, time, or integrity. Her work has been featured in New York Times, Forbes, CBC, CNN, ABC Reader's Digest, and she has been a contributor to Huffington Post, Entrepreneur Inc., and more. Oh my God, I am so honored and blown away to have you here with me, Gita. Thank you. Thank you so much for agreeing to do this. Oh my God, thanks for having me. It's just, it's so weird when you hear someone read your bio and you're just like, that sounds really impressive. Like, if that was someone else, I'd be so impressed. But I'm like, but that's just me. It's just, it's weird. Yeah. It's weird. It makes me sound like I'm some like highfalutin person and I'm so not. So yeah, don't, don't feel that way about me guys. Cause that is, I'm just 
a regular person. And I love what you said, Roma, about how you gave me a piece of yourself. And like, and and there's this, like, you gave me so much love that a piece of it always lives inside me. Um, I, it's so funny because I actually say that to my kids and I'm like, I love you so, 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 so much that a piece of me always lives inside you. So the fact that you said that to me, that's like, wow, massive sign from the universe today. Thank you. Yes. And I think that it's, uh, that's just who we all are, but we don't love to acknowledge that and give that that credit because, you know, to, to surrender yourself, to learn, to unlearn and to grow is not a skill that uh, our ego really easily gives in to help us do, you know? So that is something that we have to develop over the period of time. And there are few people who come in your life who just um, not, I mean, the wow you factored it in the beginning, but later they just integrate something in you, which is so authentically you, which was you for me, that kind of, I saw myself in you, I saw, of so many other women and people like who were growing and learning from you and with you that I realized that yeah a part of me lives in her and and a part of her lives in me too in so many ways and, and you know as coaches that's what makes this world endless this work endlessly rich and fascinating and never boring is that when I meet someone like you like as a client the breakthroughs that you're seeking, the breakthroughs that we create together are breakthroughs that I have experienced in some part, you know, somewhere along the continuum. We talk about the continuum, right? You are me somewhere on the continuum, just a little bit further back in the journey. And so for me to go back there and re-experience those breakthroughs with you is so nourishing because a it helps me fall in love with the work and it really is about love ultimately because to re-experience that same breakthrough again gives me more ownership of it more than i had because when i first had it it's the first time right you you hear the first time and you think wow that's cool that's amazing exactly what you said it's like marriage you think you love your partner the first time when you first meet them and they're like wait i didn't know all this stuff about you like what this is even better. It's different. There isn't that huge dopamine high or doesn't not, not always anyway. It comes back if you work it, but but it it matures into something deeper. And that that is the work where for me to then re-experience a breakthrough that I've lived through now through your eyes, through your experience, through your visceral kind of lived experience gives me more ownership of the same breakthrough. It reminds me, it breaks me through a little bit further, even in that same breakthrough, even though technically I'm, technically I'm past it, we're never really past it. We're always experiencing it. And so one of the things that I've really learned in this work is when your old patterns come up, it's not that you're like, it, it's so interesting what story comes up for you, right? Do, do you go to the story of, oh God, like I thought I'd fix that. I thought that I was done with this. Like, God, ugh, why are we here again? It's not working. And so, you know, the hashtag in our program is it is working because what I realized is I had to condition very deliberately and intentionally condition the story of it is working because what I realized is that same pattern coming up is just a, a, an invitation to the next layer, the next layer, the next layer which then the deeper you go in your work, the more people you can help, the deeper you can help them, et cetera. So. Yeah, I, I know. And I have lived that with you. So I know exactly what you are saying and what you said in the beginning that even though your bio is so rock solid, 
you are someone who anyone can relate to so easily even though it makes you feel like the queen of whatever but like it, it's still uh, when when we when i came into impact with influence with you my first impression was like where am i what did i do i'm not ready for this next huge up level that this woman and this team is offering to me i don't think i'm ready but then within i think one or two calls i was like you know what i would have never been ready i'm glad that i made this decision right now and i think that's very important because when i heard from you that you had 25 years of experience i was like what i'm not even sure if i have five and what am i doing here and you know uh, now i know what i was doing then and what i'm doing now so i want to ask you geeta is that 25 years of experience sounds like a long time that means you would have started this very young i know a bit about your story of when you were 10 years old when you started writing so i want you, i want you to share that with our audience certainly so before i even share the story and i will share the story because it's a good one i want everyone to think about like everyone here is like 25 years how old is this woman um i'm 40 just so you know so yes i did start very young and we'll do the math and i'll kind of walk you through exactly how it worked but you have to remember that the 25 years that i reference there is as a journalist as a storyteller somebody who got paid to tell stories whether my story or somebody else's story and i still do that in many ways for a living my understanding of how i do it how i do it has absolutely transformed because i understand the power of stories i used to think a story was just something that you get and i remember when i first you know got into full time entrepreneurship where i'm like i quit my 9 to 5 i had zero safety net and i'm like holy shit i'm going to do this forever like for real um i remember thinking oh crap all i know how to do is tell stories how the hell am i supposed to make money at that which it turns out is a very lucrative still but who knew i didn't i certainly didn't but i want everyone to think about like you all have if you're i mean if you're older than 25 i pinky promise you there is something that you have that level and depth of experience doing you've just never identified it as a skill worth mentioning So it's not like I've been doing what I do today for 25 years. I actually haven't. That's a really important distinction, Roma, because you're saying I have do I even have 5 years? Yes, you do. All of the experience, that whole breadth of you becoming and transforming the whole way is your experience. I just happened to start the clock at 25 because I picked that particular incident of my first paycheck as a writer. to say okay the clock starts here but that's an arbitrary decision that i made and it makes my bio sound really fucking cool am i allowed to swear i am now <laughs> it makes my bio sound cool but i just want to say like i was not this level the scalabor of coach 25 years ago at all not even close so when you hear someone else's bio just be careful because they started a clock at some arbitrary time and you can do the same friend and you can sound just as impressive So and again this backstory also makes me sound like wow she got started 25 years ago like she must be a prodigy let me tell you the real story so at 10 so i grew up in mumbai in india and my dad you know like classic indian i have two classic type a overachieving parents my mom's like a medical doctor one of the first women in her 
one of the first generations of women to be educated at that level. She's a cancer specialist, so like highly specialized, very, very, very accomplished. And my dad is a you know business consultant and also happens to be in the Guinness Book of World Records for playing badminton, you know, in the veterans category. So he's been an, uh, uh, like a, an internationally ranked athlete for all of my life. Um, so yeah, little type A. And when I was 10 years old, um, I almost flunked English language, which is a separate paper under the British schooling system, which is what I went to in English private school. And it's basically where you have to write essays and you do grammar and comprehension and that sort of thing. And essay writing was my arch nemesis. I freaking hated it. And my father, who is a you know, has been celebrated for his English and his journalism and all this other jazz. Like he was horrified that anyone carrying his DNA could possibly flunk essay writing. Like he was like, no, this is not, this is a denial of my DNA not happening. So he and my mom devised a program where my two younger sisters and I would have to write three essays a week or we were not allowed to go out to play. And to his credit, he made it very interesting. So we would cut images out of magazines and create fictitious characters. And if we went on a field, a family trip somewhere, then we would come home and have to do like a report on what that trip was like. And we would write book reviews of our favorite bedtime stories. So he, and he would very patiently kind of sit and correct kind of how we wrote it. So he'd be like, oh, he, you know, this is how you write a really strong introduction. This is how you create a hook. This is how, you know, these are the different pieces of an essay. There's the, you know, the, the introduction, the body and the conclusion. And here's how you make things go full circle. And here's how you create a really catchy title and all of these cool skills that now, you know, most people I realize learn these skills as adult entrepreneurs because they've never been taught these things. I just happen to be like really bloody lucky that my dad happened to be a very strong coach. And he coached me absolutely kicking and screaming against my will because I didn't have a choice. But thank God, because that first summer that I did it, I realized that I absolutely loved writing. This thing that I thought I hated, this thing that I resisted with every fiber of my being was actually the very thing that I was put on this earth to do. And I was just so lucky. And this is complete luck, nothing to do with my abilities in any way that I was given a guide early in life so that I discovered it early and had a gazillion years to practice it before I got to heal. So that's the story. Wow. I mean, I, I know. And I, I, it wasn't until I came to IWI that I realized how much I love writing. Like one of my biggest uh, thing now is, uh, apart from my meditation routine, is creative writing. Like I just dump all my creative thoughts. And I'm like, wow, can I like send a copy of this to the help desk of IWI? <laughs> love it I I love writing and it wasn't until I came to IWI and you know your coaches really told me as to like you guys gave me the confidence as to you're a writer do you even know it and I'm like no who told you that and they're like your words the, the, the way you write so I love that and I want to touch a little bit on what you said about you know when we decide our, our daily time clock starts I think as women, what we forget that everything, whether we have taken a pause from our career or whether we have decided, you know, for, for maternity purposes or whatever, everything that we do in our life is our intellectual property. And we have to learn to not just monetize that, but also internalize that in a way that helps you become more confident about you. 
I love that. I love that. You have to internalize it before you monetize it. Like in Impact with Influence, we have this story. Our sort of saying is you got to process it before you message it. Well, you just got yours. Like you got to internalize it before you can monetize it. That's huge. I love that. Write that down. <laughs> Write that down. Use it again. Um, it's so good. It's so good because, and you're so right. It's, it's, you can start that clock. You can start that clock anywhere. And you know, what's really funny is that the story that you have of like, I didn't know I was a writer. I didn't know I was a great storyteller. I didn't know this about myself. It's such a common theme. Like, I mean, you know this from being in our group, right? It's such a common theme with our clients of like, they have this incredible genius that they've never tapped into because they didn't know that it was their, not just a thing, but their thing. And they never gave themselves permission to develop it. And I was, like I said, I was very lucky that I had a guide early in life that not just gave me permission, but kind of forced me to develop this thing and fall in love with it. And that's available. And because I lived that experience, and again, we talk about how you can't take somebody a place that you haven't been. I was taken there. I know what that process felt like from the inside as the passenger going there. And therefore I knew how to create this for our clients and each one of us, you know, you Roma, you have your process and your journey for how you've been a passenger through, through this journey and through your life, a passenger or a driver, however you choose to look at it. And that's going to be your ideal clients. That's the, they're, they're looking for that vehicle and you get to say, you can have this vehicle. Like you actually already own this vehicle. You've just never given yourself permission to turn it on and take it where you want to take it. And that's so cool. And that's what I felt when I left IWI when my eight weeks were over. I kind of felt like, what did I get? What was my biggest takeaway? I kept asking myself that for two weeks before I it came as an epiphany for me. And it was that, you know what Gita did? Gita and her team really just gave me the permission to own all of me, just the way I am. And I feel like in when you put it in words, it sounds so little. But when you actually experience it, you realize how vast and how important that is that we, we were missing it all this while. And again, we only knew to give it to you because this is the exact transformation that we went through ourselves. Like how many of us, especially type A overachievers who have been celebrated for our achievements, who are almost invisible without the things that we do. Um, we've never learned to love the things about ourselves that we're uncomfortable with, right? Like I certainly struggled with that big time. I had all these, like, you see all this, the, the, like, oh, she used to contribute to Entrepreneur Magazine and she was a writer for Inc. Like, oh my God, that's so like amazing. But I'll tell you, like, let me tell you a really like cool and not cool. <laughs> I, it wasn't cool for me for the longest time. Story about that is I landed the gig. I worked my ass off to get the gig, but it was also like that combination of preparation meets, like, you know how, preparation meets opportunity, luck. Um, it was very much that where I interviewed the, for my own podcast at the time, I interviewed the editor-in-chief at the time. And then I explained to him how I contributed to entrepreneur. And he was like, well, why don't you write for us? And I was like, well, why don't I write for you? And then that kind of all happened. And that was great. And, and then I was writing for, like I was a columnist for both of them, but here's the deal. And then I got pregnant again with my second and I was drowning in all of this writing that, especially with their format, there was a part of me that was like, I, you know, it, it's, it's not 
it's not the format that I was used to. So I had to like make sure it was linking to other articles and their thing. They have this whole, like they had a structure that they followed. And the topics that I was really excited to write about were not necessarily the topics that got a huge amount of traffic from their client base, from their reader base, right? Rather. So then a part of me got sucked into the, the achiever. My, my, I still had my achiever stuff going on. So I was like, well, I just, I want to start writing stuff that gets traffic because I want to impress the editorial team because I, you know, otherwise I'm not really worthy. I don't know. Um, and so I started writing about stuff that wasn't necessarily on topic for me or that, I mean, I didn't do anything wrong, but it was just not my stuff really. And it didn't work because that shit never works. And what ended up happening was I started to get really not that interested in writing for them. And I let it slide. And at some point they were like, you know what? You haven't contributed in a couple of months. Like we have to let you go. And that was the, I've never told the story publicly ever because for the longest time, it was a source of deep shame to me that I had basically won the lottery, right? Like a columnist for Inc. Magazine, think about that. Um, I had won the lottery and then I just fucked it up. I let it go. And I was like, what is wrong? Something must be fundamentally wrong with me that I do this type of stuff, like that I let this happen to me. Mm. And it took a lot of forgiveness work and, you know, working with David, our mindset coach, you, whom you've worked with as well, Roma, it took a, a couple of sessions with David <clears throat> for me to, for me to realize that, wait a minute, I had very valid reasons for putting it down. Maybe I could have, I didn't give myself permission to take ownership of putting it down. And that's why it felt not great. But had I given myself permission now to be like, hey, you know what? I'm finding that what I'm writing is not necessarily working great for you. I'm beginning to lose steam. What can we do together to make this work? If I had just taken that step, which I never gave myself permission to do, it might've been a very different outcome. But then the other part of that is also, maybe nothing would have saved it. Maybe it was just time to close that chapter because I was pregnant and exhausted and I had my business to run and I had you know, a young child as well. And it just, there was so much happening in my life and I couldn't handle it all. And something had to be put down and this was the least lucrative, directly lucrative. It was lucrative in other ways, but it was the least directly lucrative task where I, I was like, if I turn this off, we can still make money. There were other things where if I turned those off, we would not make money. And as the primary breadwinner, that was absolutely my responsibility. And so I put it down. But by putting it down, I told myself the story that created a whole bunch of trauma for myself that was unnecessary that I have not, luckily knock on wood since released. And I only tell that story because again, people only see what you, like, especially when you're in the public eye, think about how you felt about me at the beginning of this when you heard my bio and you're like, whoa. And now you hear the story and you think, wow, that was not the experience I thought, like I was imagining she had. And that's so important. I think that that's really my mission is if I can own all of me, then I can give these pieces of me to you. And then when these things happen to you, you can be like, oh, I don't need to create trauma for myself. I don't need to tell myself some bullshit story about how I'm not good enough. Right. You can just skip that whole part because it sucks. 
Yeah, I love that. And it's also how um, David, I mean, that was the most, you know, uniqueness about your course was that when when we spoke to David for the first time, he was like, I don't know, I don't, like when I would tell him that I feel like my pain point is self-sabotage. And he's like, that's even not, that's not even a, even a word. And I'm like, what? Are you going to disregard my life's trauma by just saying that's not even a word? And then when you look into his eyes and then you feel it and then you're like, yeah, like what am I obsessing over all the things that didn't work? And like you said, the hashtag, it is working, is become my mantra now. Because it's, I have to focus on what is working than what is not. Because in every moment of my life, something is and something is not. And that's okay. But if I just focus on what, what does it mean to focus on the now is to focus on what is. So when something is, that means it is the way it is. And how to make it work is my job, you know, and I can do that. I'm really good at doing that. So that's how I started making sense of, okay, yeah, it is actually working. It's not a lie I'm telling myself. Exactly. And it's so interesting because the it is working philosophy and it really is a philosophy and you I love how it has become your mantra and I love that you've kind of really incorporated because that's what it's for that is what the tool is for but the philosophy is really because it is working can work on so many different levels and it can work in so many different ways most people think oh this is not working so I need to do something a specific like if I were to do a if I were to do this task or take this action or buy an ad or <clears throat> whatever, whatever that looks like for you, then it will change. Whereas many times you can change something by just changing the way you look at it. And then you can see a gift or an opportunity in it to be take a completely different direction, different attitude, different disposition, different story. And then you take that story. And I mean, this is what we teach in Impact with Influence, right? When you've ch shifted your lens, you literally now have an asset, the story of that experience is an asset. You put that asset out there, that becomes an invitation for your people to find that same pattern in their own life. You do that a few times, suddenly people are like, dude, like you keep changing my life with your freaking Facebook posts, like what? And then people are like reaching out and be like, I, I, you know, we need to talk. Yes. And that's how I saw myself is that's how I first saw myself in you because I felt like you knew my pain better than me. And I'm like, how does she know? She doesn't have a camera in my house. She's not, she's not like spying on me. I'm sure she has million other people to spy on if she wanted to. She's not interested in my life, but she knows me. How does she get me? And when I did the work with you, I realized that, oh, now I know how she gets me. And now I know how I can get who I want to work with. I want whose life I want to transform. Exactly. And it's, there's, it's a process to it. And again, it's not a, it's, there is steps to it for sure. There is a, a, a tactical process to it 100%, but that tactical process is 20% of the work. The other 80% is the internal work. Again, exactly what I described earlier, which is noticing where your pain lives, examining the story of that pain, transmuting and transforming that pain to be like, okay, I'm going to shift the way I look at this. I'm going to literally change my past. Yeah. Not be, I can't affect the facts of the past, but I can absolutely rewrite the story of what just happened and what that means about me and what that means about my potential and my future and what's available to me and my worthiness and all of this other stuff. 
And then when you can do that process and you actually learn this as a process, as a tool that you can use, well, that's like, that's basically a magic wand because you can change a fa- your past. When you can change your past, you can help other people change their past. Um, by changing your past, you're automatically changing your future. You change your present. Like it's, it's, it's straight up magic. And then when you can do it for yourself, you can actually hand this on. It's a torch. You can pass on to the next person and the next person. And that's what excites me the most is that Roma, in a way you're, you're kind of, and I've borrowed this concept from Thich Nhat Hanh, it's not my own, but um, he talks about immortality and he talks about how you can experience immortality and your own legacy. You don't have to wait till you're old or dead. <laughs> I mean, obviously don't wait till you're dead because then you won't see it, but, um, but you don't have to wait till you're old to experience legacy. It's not something that comes later in life. Legacy is about my essence being passed on so I can already see like in the way that you just described some of your experiences my essence lives in you which means now when you interact with your kids when you interact with your clients when you interact with your listeners you're passing on that same essence to them now my essence lives in them I've never even met them Mm -hmm. I haven't had any direct interaction with them that they will take that essence and pass it on even further Mm -hmm. now I'm unkillable like the real part of me the realist part of me lives in all of you And it's constantly being passed around, which means this body can die. That's fine. But I never will. And that's so cool. And that's available to all of us. Because as you pass my essence on, you add your own. And then it's like this beautiful meld. And then it, you know, and it goes from that. And I remember this, when you're saying this, is when the impact would influence the first week, the first module, I heard the word you saying in one of the first training is that you are the sky. And I remember I paused that training there. It was like hardly 40 seconds into the training, my first week. And I went four days into the week, not like holding my head. I was like, what the hell does she mean? Like I'm the sky. I'm not the sky. Can't you see I'm stuck in this rabbit hole of uh, I'm this and that, and I'm so many other problems and labels in life than I'm, I'm the sky because the sky feels untouched, untouchable and infinite. I'm none of that. And then my husband is like, so you were just sitting with this and you had the whole 40 minute training left. Why didn't you listen to it? And I'm like, because I wanted to see if I can comprehend it. And then when I hit the wall, I'm like, oh, okay, I have the training. I'm just going to go back to it and listen to it. And But that's how most of my clients live in they live in such a pity hole i'm sad like sorry to say but that's where i have lived as a victim that i wouldn't see anything else sometimes i felt too privileged for living the life i was living sometimes i felt too privileged for people dying to take care of me and i'll be like yeah everyone's going to take care of me i don't need to worry about anything so what the heck am i taking responsibility about in life and then i had this fire within me that wanted me to become something and I'm like who are you just shut up like turn the fire down keep putting it down with water or any other thought that came to my mind so I want to know like you know for me being an an immigrant and just traveling with my spouse for the last seven to eight years we have been living in so many countries but coming to U.S. was the biggest blow for me because I couldn't work Um, I came on a dependent visa and for the longest time I couldn't work and I think I was so desperate to have my own identity, which I had continued to have in some form or capacity earlier, no matter where I lived, 
So coming to the US was like all doors closing down on me. And then I became a, a first generation immigrant parent. And, and I was like so confused in life. Like I really lost my self-worth and all of me. And I know that you came to Canada at a point too in your life. And how did you build yourself up from there? So <clears throat> the, the story of how I came to Canada is also a failure story, interestingly enough, as many really cool, ultimately transformative stories are. So I was living, so I grew up in Mumbai. I you know, did a six month stint in London, England. And then um, I got a job, my first kind of like really like living away from home job in Singapore. And while I was in Singapore, I was looking for a place to live. And uh, I was introduced to this Quebecois guy, like this French Canadian guy, and we became roommates. And he was significantly older than me, was 14 years older than I was, uh, but he had a huge crush on me. And I did not know how to say no, truly. Uh, kind of like an interesting thing. And this is, you know, me learning boundaries and me learning like just because someone really likes you doesn't mean you have to date them. But I did, you know, live and learn. So uh, so in, in this particular case, again, he was a super nice guy. So I was like, oh, I feel really bad about saying no. And at first I tried to say no, and then I didn't like, and in no way, shape or form, and I, am I saying that he coerced me in any way he didn't. This was all me taking ownership of the fact that I just was too uncomfortable to say no and be rejected because it brought up my fear of abandonment and rejection. So anyway, long story short, we were together for three years. And during those three years, my work visa in, the, in Singapore expired, as did his. And so we had to figure out, like, do we go to Mumbai or do we go to Montreal? Like, which of the, like, those were our options if we wanted to stay together. And I was the more mobile of the two since I was a journalist. Anywhere I can plug a laptop in his home. I had taken French as a fourth language in school. So I was like, I will move to Montreal and live la vie en rose. I didn't really speak it. I thought I did. I didn't. Uh, which I found out the hard way again. And so then I moved to Montreal knowing literally one other person in the city. And unfortunately he was a loner. So I didn't have a huge social network to plug into. It was a crazy time. I go from being, you know, super popular, like uh, very, very, like I had a huge tight knit circle where I grew up to suddenly being completely isolated. So I can, I can relate to your story hundred percent. I didn't speak the language. So all of a sudden my superpower, which is my verbal ability, wasn't a superpower. At least it wasn't in the context that I was in. So I had to like, I, I was like, okay, I, you know, so I have amazing ability to express myself in English, put me in French and I'm like a three-year-old, right? And it was like awful. And yet I was super stubborn. So I was like, okay, I'm going to figure this the fuck out like I am so I had a simple rule for myself I would stay in French for as long as humanly possible until I literally ran out of words and only then would I allow myself to switch to English it was a really great decision that I made because and I am lucky that again I am visibly an immigrant this is this probably wouldn't work as well for somebody in Canada at least who is white just because people assume that they're Canadian but they're English Canadian and therefore they kind of want them to speak French and kind of have a higher standard. But for me, I was like clearly struggling and away from away. And so the fact that I was even making an effort really worked to my benefit. So I just want to acknowledge that I did have privilege in that context. And um, what was the question? Haha, <laughs> I've totally forgotten what your question is. How did I find myself? I ended up breaking up with that guy. And I remember sitting in my room when I had kind of, I had made the decision energetically. I hadn't yet told him, but I had made, I was like, you know what? I can't live like this. I am miserable because I realized that 
over three years of being together, our circumstances had changed, job circumstances. We went from being employed to unemployed to like he was employed, now I was unemployed. I was freelancing to different, we lived in three different countries at the time. And then we like, we were in our own place. We were in his parents' place. We were in our own place. Like it was like all these different things had changed. Our problems remained exactly the same. And I was like, hmm, maybe the problems are not circumstantial after all. Maybe these are like very intrinsic problems. And for the first time and possibly the only time in my life, really, I felt very very, I have a I'm very high drive. So even if I'm scared or stuck or whatever, I might feel scared, but I've never really been depressed except at that phase in my life. I was like full on, like I am depressed because I'm not connected to anything that means something to me. Mm. And I remember that feeling. And I remember thinking, wow, this is a fucking sinkhole. Like I have to be real careful that I do not get sucked down this. And he was the guy who taught me the difference between nice and passive. And there is a big difference there. And I will never not have this, I will never have this problem, knock on wood, ever again. Uh, because the next guy I met, because literally when I energetically made that decision, I was like, I, you know what? I don't care if I have to go home to Mumbai with my tail between my legs and explain to my parents who never really approved of our relationship to begin with. So this would have been extra, you know, complicated so be it. I'm not going to let my pride get in the way of my happiness. Screw it. I will figure this out. And when I made that decision, literally Roma, within two weeks, my life was completely different. I got invited to do a screen test out of nowhere. I mean, the most ridiculous series of circumstances happened where I had met this girl at a writing workshop that I'd taken with the last of my savings. And she was like, she happened to work for a production house and they happened to be shooting a pilot for all of these different cultural programs. And they had an Indian show that was in English and they had hired, get this, they had hired a male and a female co-host. So they had already made their hiring decision. Their female co-host had given them the wrong phone number. And then she just disappeared off the face of the map. She just, they couldn't reach her. And they were like, crap, we're a week away from our pilot. Like, what do we do? And she was like, you know, I just met this Indian girl who'd be perfect. We should invite her for a screen test. I'm not kidding. I never even thought about working in television ever in my life. I get a phone call. I, can't, I, I had totally forgotten that her name was Natalie because I'm not good with names. And she's like, oh, Natalie gave us your number. And I'm thinking, who's Natalie? But I was, I totally played it cool. I was like, what do I have to lose? Nothing, I have nothing to lose. I am right now persona non grata. I have no papers to work here. I don't know what the fuck I'm doing with my life. Why not go to a screen test? What could that possibly go wrong? So I call the one other Indian person that I know in the city, because remember, I don't have a huge social network. I convince her to go into the screen test to be my guest. I go in and the person who did the screen test was Pat who I'm not married to. Like, this is the best story ever, right? I know. Just, but it is that decision to have something you want. And even if you don't know what you want, to just make the decision that anything is better than being lost, mm -hmm. even if it's a huge risk. Mm -hmm. yes. And I'm really glad I made that decision because, oh my God, different life, baby. Like literally overnight. Yes. Yes. And I love that. It's like, 
you know, this is one of the questions I was asking my husband, I always ask him, is that I have so-and-so person to interview today, what do you want me to ask them? And he asked me to ask you this question, which you answered just now, is that what drives Gita to keep doing what she does, even when she is like at the brink of like, I've done this long enough, this is probably not, you know, working for me. And I think that was the point in your life when you felt like, okay, my life is not working out. But then you said that even though you have fear gripping you and prisoning you, but you still said yes for that, for that chance that you were getting. And that's- So how do I do that? That's a great question. He asks some yeah. good questions. I love, I love that. Um, it's so interesting, Roma, because in this context, the way I said it, I was like, I had nothing to lose. So I just went for it and I did it. So sometimes it's like, you've just hit such a low. And I try never to make decisions from that place. I never, I try now to never let myself get so low that I'm making it from a place of like, I really don't care. Like anything's better than death kind of thing. <laughs> you don't want to get to that place. Um, so many times during the course of even impact with influence that you've taken as a, as a program, um, there will be phases where I'm like, am I doing the right thing? Is this the right thing for me? Like, yes. you know, you, you get a like a couple of different difficult clients. And it's funny, my live as of today's recording, we're doing, I, I have a Facebook group messaging that makes money and I go live every Thursday. Yes. And today's live is about dealing with difficult clients. And, and it's kind of ironic, right? So you, let, let's say you run into like a couple of different difficult clients or clients that seem so stuck that you're just not like you're throwing everything you have at it and it's just not working for whatever reason. When I like, and I'm not immune to this. Like I'm like, yeah, I teach mindset and all that, but I'm not immune to feeling like a fraud. I'm not immune to feeling inadequate. I'm not immune. And dude, beyond a certain point when you're running a certain size of business, it's not just your clients. It's like your team will be difficult from time to time. Like you'll hire people and you're like, did I have the right person? I'm not even sure. Like there's all of these decisions to constantly make. And there will be times that I will hit fatigue and I will hit that like, like I'm like, oh my God, I'm in over my head. What do I do? And I have come up with a process. First of all, I give myself permission to rest. Because pretty much I can guarantee any decision I make from that place is not going to be a good one, no matter what I choose. And I have an affirmation that pops up on my phone every day that says, I always make the right decision. So I'm like, I am going to honor that. And I am going to make zero decisions right now because the only right decision in this moment is to sit with it. So the fact that you sat with that question of I'm the sky, like, I love that you did that. That was the right thing to do. Sometimes you got to sit with it and see where it, what comes up for you before you just passively consume somebody else's opinion of what the sky is, which I think is really cool. So, so there is that. And if you get stuck, then you can always reach out to the collective to be like, help give me direction to inform my opinion, which is great. So I will usually, so the more serious the situation, the more likely I, you are to find me on the couch, just sitting, doing nothing. And Pat's like, okay, no, no shortage of decisions to make today. And I'm like, and then he'll be like, oh yeah, okay, got, got it. This is your process. I remember now. So sometimes he's like, he's more sort of anxious and wanting to get shit done because that's how he operates. He's an operator. I'm a visionary. So I have to sit there and I have to, and this is exactly what we teach our clients to do. This is what David taught me to do. I feel the feeling. I'm like, what is the feeling I'm trying to avoid? 
with this decision. So it's not the feeling I'm trying to have, it's the feeling I'm trying to avoid. What's that? Because that's my motivator here. If I'm in pain, if I'm feeling blocked, if I'm feeling fatigued, then actually what I need to work on is what I'm trying to avoid. And often it's a story, it's almost like classic. There's like the three stooges of my pattern. You know, most of us have some version of this. Most often it's some story of inadequacy. There's a, a teammate that's not performing the way that they should. It's because I'm an inadequate leader. Therefore, I feel like I need to make some, like I need to shake them up or I need to do something to ah, fire them, do something, right? It's because I'm, I feel inadequate as a leader. And then I, I have to sit there and be like, okay, there's that story again. Got it. I don't need to do anything about that. Then what I will often do is I will sit with them. So it depends. Sometimes I'll do it in writing but it's the same process really. Sometimes I'll do it in writing as a journaling exercise and I'll write them a letter. I don't always send a letter. The letter is not really to them, it's to me. But it helps me to externalize the issue by writing them the letter and say, you know, this is what I'm seeing. This is how I feel about it. This is how I perceive your situation, da, da, da. And just writing it out will sometimes really help me resolve my feelings around it. If I don't, if I'm not writing or if it's like late or I just don't feel like being in front of a, a like I don't feel like picking up pen and paper or writing in front of a screen, then what I'll do is I'll do it in meditation. So I'll sit and like shut my eyes and get myself into like light trance. And then I'll just have a conversation, highest self to highest self. I'll be like my highest self talks to their highest self. I'll be like, I am really struggling to love you right now. Like you are really, I'm feeling very triggered right now. And it's just some version of this conversation where I like, if you wanted actual steps and I'm happy to share sort of what I use, it's a version of the Ho'oponopono prayer, which is a Hawaiian um, method of reconciliation and forgiveness. And I've kind of tweaked it a little bit because the original version just reaffirmed my not enoughness, which was not helping me. So, <laughs> yeah. so, so the original prayer is, forgive me, I'm sorry, thank you, I love you. Those are the four kind of mantras that you cycle through. So what I do is I say, I forgive you, I'm sorry. So I'm still taking responsibility for my piece of the situation and my perception of the situation and so on. But the double forgive me and I'm sorry, that just made me feel like crap all the time. So I just, it wasn't working for me that way. So I forgive you. I'm sorry. You know, thank you for this experience. And I love you. So, and I've even done this um, this is a very long answer. I don't know that you wanted this level of detail, but sometimes if I'm feeling not good physically, like let's say I'm feeling really like drained and depleted, then this is, I will literally do this process with my body where I will, I, I can do it in bed. So I'll sometimes do it lying in bed or I can do it sitting in meditation, whichever way. And I will go sort of crown to toe or toe to crown, depending, and just go with like, you know, head, like face. I forgive you. I forgive you for not fitting whatever my current standard for you is. Like you are not living up to my standard that I've imposed on you. And I forgive you for that. I forgive you for doing the silly things that you do. I forgive you for having a zit when I have to record a video. I forgive you for having a fucking sty when, you know, I have all these videos that I'm supposed to record right now. I forgive you for all of this. I'm sorry that I'm, that I forget how beautiful you are. I forget how important you are. I forget how much power you give me. I forget how little I sometimes take care of you. You know, I forgive you. I f I'm sorry for all of these things. And then I say, thank you. Thank you for being on this journey with me. Thank you for being part of my vehicle. 
And then literally I will go face to neck to shoulder to like whatever it is I'm working on. And then I just do this whole thing. So I, I'm basically filling and the last piece is I love you. And then it's where I feel, literally I will feel a flushing. I mean, again, if you don't feel this the first time you do it, remember I've done this a gazillion times. Keep at it until you feel it. You're not, it's like, you're not gonna run a marathon the first time you run. So, but I, I will feel like a, like a flooding of warmth or light or flushing in the area that I'm focusing on. So by the time I've done the entire, my whole body, my whole body is flushed and filled with love. And I'm like, I am giving myself the gift of presence. I'm giving myself the gift of fully owning everything that I bring to the table in this moment. And sometimes that's the only decision I need to make. Yes. I love that. Even though it was a long answer, it was perfect because that just reaffirmed me because that's what I teach my clients to, to use because the book Zero Limits was where I picked this up from. And it really changed my life because I started to realize there's so much of forgiveness and apology and, you know, thanking and loving that I needed to do within me. Yes. That would then mirror to everyone else around me. And then it becomes easier for even my seven-year-old who finds it hard to say sorry to then own up to her vulnerabilities. So that 100%. is so huge. Thank you. 100%, so my pleasure. Before we go, I want to, you know, really ask you one last thing. Your concept of both and, and mm. how, like that was such a, like such an awakening for me when you shared that. I really want to explain that to our listeners. So oftentimes we will, I believe that a lot of suffering, you know, the Buddhist tradition says that suffering is created by desire or attachment. And I don't disagree with that. That is 100% true. But there's another layer of suffering that is often created when we bring ourselves to a crossroads of some kind. And I see this a lot. I mean, maybe this is an entrepreneur specific thing, but I think it applies to all people. But like often we'll come to a place where we're like, I could do this and have that outcome, or I could do this and have that outcome, but they feel like they're opposite. Mm -hmm. And choosing is impossible because it's almost like if you had two children and you're like, well, you got to save one and let the other one die. Well, you're like, how the hell are you supposed to make that decision? You can't. So what ends up happening for many of us is we end up in analysis paralysis. We sit there at the crossroad and we're like, I can't choose either. And then both opportunities go away, right? And then we beat ourselves up for being inadequate and so on and so forth. So, so I noticed that I, like most people, I, I noticed that I was doing it. And one of the earliest applications of both and, I like to talk in concrete terms, like that's my form of teaching is because that's how I learn best. So like, this is like, it sounds great. That's so abstract and spiritual geez, you must be a guru or something. Um, but that shit doesn't actually work, right? It doesn't help. So here's how this would play out in real life. So I remember a situation when I was just getting into entrepreneurship. No, I was coming off of maternity leave. Let's tell the truth here. I was not getting into anything. I was like, what the fuck am I going to do with my life? I've been unpaid for like more than a year now. We're living paycheck to paycheck and barely scraping by. And then, you know, I was like, I, and I, I I have all this gift that I want to bring to the world. And as much as I absolutely freaking love being a mom and I really owned that role, there was more of me that I wanted to give the world. And so I was like, I need to own this. Like I'm a breadwinner. I always have been. So like, what do I do? I, how do I monetize making stories? Like that's 
what like what do I do I felt like I had already exhausted all of my options at the time I had gotten a small gig doing some ghost blogging and ghost writing and some social media strategy for a nonprofit, and I was being paid really well but it was again it was a done for you it was taking up all this time and as with every gig that you actually care about as you get deeper into the book the book expands and then I was like ah, how do I make this fit into the 20 hours that I have and I'm never going to make more money than this because I'm already capped out and in fact I'm going over into like personal time I'm not sleeping and like what do I do so I was in that place and then I was like okay you know what and as always when the student is ready Facebook will send an ad because that's how it works. Um, and so I was like, okay, I, I was like, universe, I need a scalable version of this. I am ready for that next step. What is it though? Like, how do I apply my gift? And I started getting targeted by ads um, about building courses and like turning your gift into an online program. And I was like, that's it. And I was like, other people have figured this out. I'm as smart as they are. I will figure this out also. I will first give them my money so that I don't have to figure it out the long way. Mm -hmm. And of course, I had none. Um, so there was some credit card debt involved. And I don't regret it for a second. I'm going to own that. So <laughs> my entire family goes DEFCON 1 on me. And they're like, oh my God, what are you crazy? Like, you don't have money for this? Like, you're buying shit off the internet from someone? Like, you don't know? So if any of you have heard that, trust me, I heard it too. I used to put my phone on airplane mode to just like, because I was like, I don't have the strength to deal with my own doubt and also other people's doubt. I have just enough strength to deal with mine. That's all I've got right now. So I just cut out all the doubters. I mean, I didn't cut them out of my life. I just didn't let them call me during that phase. Um, and so what ended up happening was I was like, okay, I'm, I had 20 hours a week of childcare. Or, or I think he was not, he was in less hours a week of childcare even at that point, but that's all I could spare to work on something uninterrupted without losing my mind or my health. So I was like, all right, if I have 20 hours, then I cannot do one-on-one -on -one work. I have to do something scalable. So I I bought a program to create a course and I would, that's what I was doing. And then of course, as I'm building out the course, I get not one, not two, not three, but four four referrals for the one-on-one -on -one work, four. And I'm like, motherfucker, I really need this money. Like I literally have debt and no money. And my husband is super mad at me for having bought this program, these programs, there was more than one, um, to do all of this. Like the sensible thing would be to delay the start and figure it out. That, that was the crossroad, right? It's like either... I take on the extra clients, even though I, I'm not even sure I could have taken on four, to be honest. Um, or I say no to them, even though I need the money. And I go for this, like, what the F path, which is, yes, you're building something ultimately scalable and monetizable. But when does the money show up, Gita? Nobody knows. Because I didn't know. I'd never done it before. I had no data. So I was like, oh, crap, what do I do? I don't know. Um, so I was in, like, neither of those options felt great. So that's when both hand appeared for me. And I was like, what if I were to put them together? What would that look like? Is there a way to put them together and marry them? And I said, what if every single one of these people that came to me as a referral, those four clients, potential clients, what if I told them, hey, you can hire me to do this one-on-one -on -one with you, but 
I, you, it will ultimately longer term be far less expensive if I just taught you how I do what I do and you could do it yourself or hire someone internally to do it for you. And three out of four said, yes, that's both end. So I got my first few sales for my other thing. I didn't have to turn opportunity away. I was able to monetize immediately. That's both end. Where you look for, you assume, and you invite the universe to help you see. So another affirmation I have that pops up on my phone is I'm determined to see. And I'm always like, I know that the quality of my life is really related to the quality of my vision. Like, what am I willing to see? Many of us turn away from things because we don't want to see what's there. And a huge part of being willing to see is to be able to acknowledge our underbelly and to have the tools to deal with, you know, what you talk about, Roma, which is all the stuff about ourselves that we're uncomfortable with, the inadequacies, the guilt, the shame, the blame, the, all of that, because that's what we turn away from. The opportunity will come, but it's gift wrapped in shame or blame or whatever the thing is. And then we're like, yeah, no. But now that I know how to deal with those things, that was the first taste that I remember clearly where I was like, oh, I could just slap them together. Like what? That's cool. And so now I do this as a practice. Like it's almost a spiritual practice. It's a decision-making process that, that we pass on to clients. Also, Gita, like when you said a spiritual practice, I know because I know you so closely through the program, you really are not someone who hides any parts of you to the world because I feel you have found a way to authentically integrate who you are and that's who you are anywhere and everywhere. So I want, you know, my audience to know a little bit more about The Course in Miracles and how you have been a student of it for so long and, and continue to inspire us as your students when we were in, when I was there to, you know, to manifest, to, to really see ourselves, like you said, you're determined to see, to really see ourselves as the conscious creators of what we are, who we are. So A Course in Miracles is obviously not my work. This is work that was done, that was basically channeled by, what I find fascinating about it is it's got Judeo-Christian overtones, the book itself. So it's a book, by the way. Let me see if I can grab it. I have it. Yes, I do. I have multiple copies. So give me one second. So this is the edition that I recommend people get because it's three in one. It's like, it's quite a brick. It's almost like a Bible and it's written very similarly kind of to a Bible. It takes that, you know, it's got little numbers and notations so that you can kind of quote what chapter or whatnot. Anyway, so this book basically includes the actual text of The Course in Miracles, which is a doozy. I do not recommend starting with that because it'll make your brain hurt. It did mine. Um, there's the workbook, which is what I recommend starting with. And then there's the manual for teachers, which you will absolutely be drawn to once you get deep enough into the workbook. And then, and sort of that's kind of the process. Um, just to show you what a, an absolutely stellar student I am, I have been studying this thing for two plus years and I am still not through it. Just saying, okay? So you don't have to be perfect to be successful. You don't have to get it all done, check mark. Like it, it's exactly what you did, Roma, where you, like you took your time to absorb it and integrate it. That's been my, my, my experience with The Course in Miracles. Uh, we'll call it ACIM because it's really long to say A Course in Miracles 300 times. Um, so 
what tends to happen. So the way that the workbook works, I don't know if you can see this, it basically has like a lesson and the lesson literally takes five, maybe 15 minutes on like heavier lesson days. And it's just something you contemplate. It's just like, it's a, it's a sentence that you think about and you look around your environment sometimes and think about that sentence and you apply it to your environment. And it is a total mind fuck. I mean, not to put too, too um, fine a point on it. Uh, the thing that I wanted to say earlier is it was channeled by a woman who considered herself an atheist. So I thought that was super interesting that it wasn't like she was a reverend and you know, this was kind of like her, she was like, I don't even believe in God, what the F is this? And then she just like, it just came through her. So that it, it, for me at least, it adds a layer of even more interest and authenticity to it. What I remember, I have started the workbook probably five times. It took me five times of starting it because I would get to like day seven or day eight or day nine or something like that. And then I would get distracted and I would fall off the wagon. And that's what your, your ego will do to you. Your ego will get you distracted. And then all of a sudden you'll wake up like a week later and be like, oh, I totally dropped this thing. Like, I don't even remember not doing it. Like what? And then you have to start from the beginning. And it took me, like I said, five times to actually finally have it stick. And one of the ways that I had it stick was that I found journaling was really helpful to me. So just thinking about it in my mind, sometimes my ego just would not let me think. My, my mind would wrap it around and go blank and just do all kinds of crazy shit. And I was like, all right, then fine. You want to play that game? Cool. I'll get a pen. And so... <laughs> It, it's it's cheap it's available just get any pen it doesn't have to be fancy I like fancy pens but you know you don't have to use one um and then you just like ha like so I would just write out my thoughts so I was like I'm gonna write you before I think you so that I don't get stuck in the silly per analysis paralysis crap that I come up with right so knowing my own pattern again and working with them rather against rather than against them that has been a, a, a real theme with my growth it's every time I do that I am able to up level so much more easily because I'm like, I don't need to fight you body. I don't need to fight you mind. I don't need to fight you spirit. You're allowed. You're welcome. Even let's work together. And every time I can find a way to do that, it's that both end. It's that immediate up level because the ultimate both end that we do in impact with influence is combining your conscious mind, your goals, your ego driven achievement stuff with none of which is wrong, by the way, none of which is, is, is dirty or evil or anything. You know, the money you want to make, the love you want to have, the status you want to have, whatever, all, all of that with your spiritual, illogical, um, childlike needs of being loved and accepted and, and scared and fearful and, you know, worried about all kinds of crazy shit that doesn't make any sense. It's like when you can put those two things together and your conscious mind can work with as opposed to against your subconscious mind, your subconscious mind stops working against your conscious mind. And that's when all of you is available to the transformation you're trying to create for yourself and for others. So. Right. Wow. I love that. Okay. So most of the time, whenever I interview anyone, you know, especially when I started my, this spiritual dimension journey of understanding my higher self deeply, I realized that there was one value by which it governed my life. And what is that sacred value or values for you that you simply run your life by? I think it would have to be 
possibility. I think possibility and permission, because those two things are very, they're, they're the same thing really, is how can I, so I'm always interested in the question of how can I give myself more permission? How can I give somebody else permission? How can I allow something that has been traditionally forbidden? What, what is that block? Because forbidden is blocked, right? And some things, I mean, some things are forbidden for a reason, like murder and harm and things like that. But even then, like I'm always interested in examining even those because a lot, like how many of our clients have come to us and one of the core wounds or patterns that they bring, the reason that they're not able to grow their business is the reason that they're not able to put their best work out there is because they have an unconscious assumption of help equals harm. Mm -hmm. And if you don't, if you're not willing to examine your relationship with harm, your judgment of harm, your judgment of guilt and so on and so forth, but even when you perceive it in other people, that's when you, you're blind to your own stuff around this. And then you have guilt, but you just don't know. And then you don't do it. And so, so the value that I think for me, I don't know if permission is a value per se, but I guess if you were to boil it down to a value, it's, it's, it's about integrity and authenticity. It's about authenticity. It's like, if I can, the more of me I can own, the more of me I can give. The more I give, the more other people are like, oh my God, that's allowed. I'm allowed. That, it, this is available. This is possible. Okay. Oh my God. Yes. Right. That feeling, that's, that's what I'm about. That's, that's my essence. That's what I want to give the world more of. Wow. I love that. To end... I have a quick rapid fire. So what I do is I do, I'm gonna ask you about nine to 10 words. And then you say the first thing or things that come to your mind with it, okay? Deal. Um, family. Joy. Entrepreneurship. Awesome. Your clients. Complex. Subconscious. I, I think of block because <laughs> we talk about that all the time. Um, but I also think power. Parents. Complex. Money. Easy. Visualization. Always. Basically, that's, a, that's your word. <laughs> yes. Clarity. Essential. Kids. Magic. Mindset. Everything. Journaling. Always. <laughs> Miracles. Available. Oh, I love it. One thing I forgot to ask you is that what is your one non-negotiable habit that you will not trade for anything in this world? Like you can compromise a certain ritual or routine that you have on a very busy or a very, you know, hard day, but that is one thing that you will not compromise. I think it's thinking time. And I come to thinking time a bunch of different ways the usual rituals that I hold true. And I would do this probably 99%, 98% of the time um, are visualization, which is like deep manifesting visualization. You're using your whole body. This is something I teach in the program. 
Um, and the second piece, which is closely related is journaling. So again, I find journaling really useful when my mind is like, so sometimes there'll be visualization, but my energy is just all over the place. And I'm noticing that and I'm like, all right, okay, calm down. Like what, what can I do to center myself? What can I do to get back in touch with what the deal is? Journaling has, is an amazing tool for that. But let's say, and there are days like this, I'm not perfect. Like, I, you know, again, there are so many gurus out there that really seem to be perfect and have their shit together. I am not one of them. I have small children. They don't always sleep. The kids are so unprofessional. That should have been the word I used. Ha. Um, <laughs> they're so unprofessional. Like you have big goals for your next day and then they'll wake up like 300 times that night, right? Like that's just how it works. And what are you going to do? Say no. <laughs> so, um, so, like if I'm noticing that I'm tired, I'm depleted, I'm the kids have gotten me up and I just like a run out of time or my brain's like not focusing or whatever, then I will, those are the days when I know it's super important that I take that time. So usually like if I don't do it in the morning, which is my preferred time to visualize and journal, then I will find a 10 minute, like it'll be five or 10 minutes and I will sit on the couch and I will sit in, in visualization. I'll be like, okay, if nothing else, I will do the, the, you know, the body love mechanism that I talked about. Like if nothing else, then I'm like, I will at least love me through this process. Mm. I will at least love me through this process. I'm like, okay, today is obviously not the day that I'm going to be at peak performance. I'm probably going to make 700 mistakes that will have to be undone tomorrow. I am might snap at my kids. I might not meet a single deadline on my plate, but I will be damned if I'm not going to love myself. Thank you. Thank you, Gita. Thank you. What great questions. Shed is amazing. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast today. I want to take a moment to appreciate the time, energy, and effort that you have put into growing and becoming the best version of you. I am deeply grateful and forever indebted to serve you with the best of my abilities. Subscribe to this podcast and leave me a review here. It will really help me and help those around you if you share this podcast with others. If in any way this podcast has inspired you, I hope and wish that you will share this with your friends and families all across social media. I would love to leave you with one last quote that is my favorite and that is from the Bhagavad Gita and it says that you come here empty-handed and you will leave empty-handed. What is yours today belong to someone else yesterday and will belong to someone else tomorrow. We are all here to pay it forward.